Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is the Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. The Andrew Lawton Show starts right now. Hey, welcome to another edition of The Andrew Lawton Show, Canada's most irreverent talk show here on True North. It's good to have you aboard. Hope you are having a great Victoria Day, or had a great Victoria Day. I don't know when you're listening to it necessarily, but I hope you got to enjoy the long weekend and all of its long weekend splendor, even if you can't really go anywhere, do anything, or open up the cottage, or go out for dinner, or do all of these other things. But hope you made the most of it, whatever it is. And on a more official note, a happy official birthday to Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. Even though she was born in April, her official birthday, uh, for reasons that uh, go back and are not as interesting as you might think, is actually celebrated on Victoria Day in Canada. So she's got official birthdays in every Commonwealth country. So if you're a monarchist, you already knew that. If you're not a monarchist, you don't care. So I guess I'll just move on. In any case, I want to uh, definitely start off by talking about this story from last week that has rubbed me the wrong way and a lot of other people. And it's not a, a religious freedom story. It's a government pandering story. Now, as far as religious freedom goes, you may remember a couple of weeks ago, we spoke to Pastor Henry Hildebrandt on the show, and he's the pastor of the Church of God in Aylmer, Ontario, who decided to have drive-in services and really raised the ire of police and was facing potential prosecution. Now, that's gone. The police decided not to push it further. The Crown decided not to prosecute. And on the weekend, the provincial government in Ontario actually clarified that it is possible for churches to have this. So they clarified the law to say, yes, drive-in services are allowed. So that was a victory, although there is from the Church of God a, a constitutional challenge going forward that the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms is advancing, and that's going to be basically on religious freedom grounds, on charter protections for religious freedom. So we have the fact that a church was facing potential prosecution, that other religious institutions have been told they have to close down, they've risked major penalties, even jail time, if they open up. And then you have this story in Saskatchewan, where a group of Indigenous people, the Beardies and Okamasis Cree Nation, had a Sundance ceremony, a sacred ceremony in the Indigenous spiritual culture, that the RCMP ended up intervening in because there were more than 10 people, which is the limit in Saskatchewan for a public gathering at the time that it took place. So the RCMP interrupted and said this is not allowed. They didn't press charges, and it sounds like they just went away after and said, listen, we've told you and and now we've left. But the indigenous communities raised a great concern about this, saying that it was basically going back to the era of government trying to oppress and repress Indigenous culture. They say it was really a reminder of that dark past of Indigenous-Canadian relations where Indigenous people were being told by police, you can't do this. And the problem with this is that they were being treated the same way that any other group were in Ontario and would be in Ontario, which is to say, hey, you can't have this mass gathering of 10 people. So Scott Moe, who's the Premier of Saskatchewan, has said, listen, I mean, a a ban is a ban. If we're prohibiting gatherings of 10 people or more, this is something that's included. And enter Mark Miller, who's the Indigenous Services Minister, the Federal Liberal Cabinet Minister on the Indigenous file. He says the following about this. 
The banning of spiritual and cultural practices like sun dances and pot lashes is a dark stain on Canada's history. Even in the face of a global pandemic, Canada must not and will not prohibit these important practices. Any decision to cancel or postpone them must remain the decision of community leadership. My department will continue to work with First Nations to provide the best available public health guidance to inform their decisions. So there's not a lot to take from that. It's very clear that it's part of a dark history of Canada to try to ban spiritual practices. Even in the face of the pandemic, Canada must not and will not prohibit them. And community leadership is the sole decision maker, he says, on whether to cancel these events or postpone them. So basically what the Indigenous Services Minister has done here is given Indigenous people a pass on public health regulations that everyone else in the country needs to follow. If you're a Christian church, it's not your pastor's ability to decide whether church is cancelled. If you're a Catholic church, it's not the priest's ability to decide. If you are a Muslim mosque, it's not the imam's decision, a synagogue, the rabbi, all of these things. But in the case of these communities, their community leaders get to decide, not the provincial government, not the federal government, not the police. So all of a sudden you have two tiers of law where certain people are able to be exempt from public health guidance for religious practices and certain people are not. So this proves one of two things. Either there is a ban that is rooted in science and they decided that political correctness matters more than science, or the ban isn't rooted in science, in which case no one should have to play by these rules, indigenous or not. But no matter what, they're proving that there is an inconsistency in their approach on this. Either it's essential to public health to have these and that everyone follows them or not. And remember, Justin Trudeau, whenever this comes up, just talks about how we all have to make our sacrifices and all of that. But note, apparently some people don't have to. And lest there be any doubt here, my issue is not with the Indigenous people. They think they can do it safely, fine. And if you read what they were doing, it sounds like they were being very conscientious. They were taking temperatures of people going in. They were keeping their distance at the actual Sundance. They were not letting outsiders in that hadn't gone through their screening. So it sounds like they were doing whatever they could to prevent an outbreak in their community. But the problem is that other groups do not have the ability to do that. If my church were to say, you know what, we're going to reopen and we're going to you know, go down to half capacity and everyone who comes in is going to have their temperature taken, everyone's going to have to sit in designed, designated spots, they would not have the right to do that. So I think what this proves is that, yes, you are able to amend and adapt and make it so that things that might not be safe if you did them the normal way are safe. And to do that makes them so that you don't need to worry about it. But the government is only giving the opportunity to these particular uh, communities. And I want to read a line that was in this CBC story about it. Leslie Michelson, who's a spokesperson for Indigenous Services Canada, said in a statement that her department, quote, encourages First Nations leaders to consider public health guidelines in their respective provinces and territories. So this line is great because it has everything. So the government encourages leaders to consider 
public health guidelines. So it's not even like we would like them to consider. It's we'd encourage them to consider. They don't have to consider. We're not even encouraging them to follow them. We're encouraging them to consider following them. Whereas you or me or our families, our religious communities, our school groups, whatever, they are not encouraged to consider. They are threatened with prosecution if they don't not just consider, but actually go whole hog and adopt them. Now, the double standards in this are, are where the real problem is. The hypocrisy is where the real problem is. Because again, this is not about science at this point when you're deciding to pick and choose who gets to follow them and who doesn't. And this is not discounting the history that Mark Miller is talking about with Indigenous communities. It's not discounting the history of Indigenous cultural practices that didn't have a friendly place in Canada. It's about recognizing that if you are going to draw a line and say that religion and cultural practices, spiritual practices, are non-essential, which is what governments have done, then what you are doing is you are saying that uh, all of them have to be fine, that all of them have to be uh, not fine or fine. And that's where the problems are here. And by the way, there's another aspect of this, and I mentioned this on True North Update last week with Candace Malcolm, that the government, when it came to rail blockades, was saying, we don't direct the RCMP. They, they're on their own. They're autonomous. And now we have the Indigenous Services Minister, Mark Miller, saying that uh, basically the RCMP is being called off from doing this. When he says in response to a story about the RCMP going in that the RCMP or that the government will not ban or prohibit these practices, he's effectively saying that even when a province like Saskatchewan has put a ban on gatherings of more than 10 people, police that are technically under a federal police force, but they're operating as a provincial police force at that moment, are not allowed to listen to the provincial government. They're going to listen to the federal government instead. So now we've got not only political correctness, not only double standards, not only inconsistent health device, uh, health advice, but we've also got the federal government directing the RCMP to ignore the law after for months they've been saying, oh no, we don't do that, we can't do that, the RCMP is autonomous, they follow the law, and all of that, and by the way, I mean, we didn't believe it at the time. When they were going after rail blockades, we didn't believe that the government wasn't telling the RCMP commissioner what to do or what not to do. We didn't believe it, but that was what they said. That was the line that they committed to. And now, of course, they've just completely abandoned that. Now it's, uh, no, 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 if, if the RCMP does this, we're going to condemn them from the level of a cabinet member because that's what we're doing. This is Justin Trudeau's Canada. So I would say let's all take a lesson from the Beardies and Okamasa's Cree Nation and say, yes, if there's a way we can get back to normal, as much of a normal life as possible with amendments and with caveats and with stipulations, then let's do it. But let's not go down this road of picking and choosing which groups. Imagine if the government were to say, okay, uh, private schools can reopen, but uh, not religious ones. You know, we're reopening private schools, but only secular ones. Or if they said, you know what, Catholic schools can open, but not public schools. Or restaurants can open, but only vegan restaurants, not non-vegan restaurants. I mean, drawing these lines will not only expose this as being kind of an exercise of futility, but it would also undercut the very freedoms that governments are supposed to protect. And whether you like or agree with certain cultural practices, whether it is a Christian practice, an indigenous cultural practice, a Muslim practice, whatever, the whole point of religious freedom is that we don't have a state religion in Canada. The government cannot pick favorites. 
So if you're going to draw a line and say, no, these exp uh, these experiences that these people are doing, these sun dances are non-essential, then all of them have to be non-essential. And similarly, if you say one has to be essential, which is what the government has basically done now, everything has to be, which means confirmations, confessions, bar mitzvahs, bat mitzvahs, all of them now have to be fine because that's what the government is saying about this one. And the fact that they don't realize this, realize this hypocrisy or realize this double standard, or the fact that even worse than that, they may realize it but not care, I think that's more problematic, is because what they're doing is now picking and choosing which groups have this protected status. And we know they do this, but to do it so brazenly. And I cannot stress enough that my issue is not with the indigenous community because they were the ones saying here, listen, we've found a way to do this safely. We're going to do it. This is who we are. And that's the same thing that Pastor Henry Hildebrandt did a few weeks ago by having his drive-through services. He says, listen, we want to have church. This is a way we can safely and comfortably do it. And I want every group that can to do it. Like I see no reason if you're in a town that has a drive-in movie theater, that the drive-in movie theater shouldn't be able to open up given that every Everyone is staying in their car. I mean, maybe they closed the concession stand, but even then restaurants are open for takeout now. So I don't think it would be that dissimilar to things that are happening all the time. And this is not to say that people should flout the law. It's to say that the law itself and the government itself should be encouraging people finding ways to get back to normal as much as possible. And we know that provinces are all doing this at their own speed. I live in Ontario where this coming week, some more things are opening up. And the problem now that we're facing is that things have opened up and there's this floodgate approach. So, you know, I'm doing a bit of a home renovation right now, a very minor one. And Home Depots have opened up and I'm like, that's great. Yeah, we can just run to Home Depot and you go there and it's like an hour to get into the store. And then once you're in the store, it's uh, not much better. So uh, people are still adapting to this, which is why I think that whenever haircuts are allowed again, whenever haircuts are not going to, you know, kill every grandmother and grandfather in the country, apparently, uh, there's going to be such a long line that it will be as though haircuts are still banned. So I don't know if you can tell, I'm kind of like really getting to the point where it's going to look just mangled and I'm going to look like Tom Hanks on Castaway probably in a couple of episodes. So uh, <laughs> I, I know my video editor is going to put up a picture of Tom Hanks in, in Castaway. Do the, do the side by side if you're going to do it at least. So people can see what will be the before and after picture of me. Yeah. So the one on the right there, that's the Andrew Lawton show in, uh, in a couple of weeks time if, if things don't open up. But this is what I find fascinating about this, because all of us are trying to get back to normal. All of us should be trying to get back to normal if we aren't. And in many respects, the group that doesn't want to is the government. It's government that seems to not want this. And, and part of it's caution, I get that. It's not about downplaying or diminishing the threat of COVID-19 and, and the coronavirus. It's about recognizing that when the focus is on public order over public health, which has become a recurring theme of all of these examples of going after people for visiting their relatives in nursing homes through windows or ticketing rollerbladers, shutting down parks, all of this. When that is the priority, no one takes it seriously. And we're at the point now where people have said, okay, we're through the worst of it. We want to just do things that can be done safely. And everyone seems to realize now that you can all be outside and not have any real threat. I mean, if you're spitting in each other's faces and speaking moistly on each other outside, it's a bit different. But if you're just walking outside and people seem to be loosening up about it, which is good.
I'm not seeing the abject fear in a lot of people that I was seeing a few weeks ago. And, and some people are saying this means that people are too comfortable. No, I think it means that we've done a bit better a job than we did early on, now that we have a bit more knowledge about this, in basically drawing the lines and say, okay, what are the risky things? What are the non-risky things? Still wash your hands, still wear a mask when you're out if it makes you more comfortable, still do all of these protocols like wiping down carts at grocery stores and things like that. But we don't need to make it so that everyone is so scared to be out into the world. And that's where I think we can do a much better job if people have found, I don't even want to call them workarounds because a workaround makes it sound like you're doing something bad. But if people have found ways to do things safely, then we should be encouraging that. And if we're encouraging ingenuity of companies like Canada Goose retooling to make masks and gowns, then surely we can respect the ingenuity of stores that find ways to safely open or groups that find ways to safely congregate. And whether it's taking temperatures and keeping distant or whether it's uh, going on Zoom or Skype or whatever, I mean, that's your choice. But I think we should be encouraging that, not discouraging it. Uh, we're doing a short show today because of the holiday. But before I, I end, I, I want to talk about this CTV story that is is indicative of just not even kicking someone when they're down, but, but beating a dead horse, I think, is more uh, appropriate here. Sheer didn't follow through on renouncing U.S. citizenship. Now, this is from Rachel Aiello at CBC or at CTV, rather. Uh, she says that a conservative leader, Andrew Scheer, still holds U.S. citizenship after stating during the 2019 federal election campaign that he was in the process of renouncing it. This comes from an interview with Evan Solomon on CTV's question period. Let's roll that clip. Can you just give us an update of something that was an election issue, your dual citizenship? Uh, have you made, have you continued your steps to renounce your U.S. citizenship? Uh, after making the decision to uh, to step down, uh, knowing that I won't be prime minister, I, uh, I discontinued that process. Oh, why did you discontinue it out of interest? Well, just for personal reasons, Evan. You don't want to tell us why you discontinued it? When, uh, did, when did you do that? Uh, I'd have to go back and check. So Shear's answer is pretty straightforward. Knowing that I won't be prime minister, I discontinued that process. So his aversion to having U.S. citizenship was that he didn't want to be the prime minister of a country, have a loyalty to Canada, and also have this loyalty to another country, uh, which is how the dual citizenship narrative would play if you are the head of government. So his point that he made when this all came out was that, you know, he was just in the process of, of getting rid of it. And now that he doesn't, have being prime minister as something in front of him, what's the point of, of discontinuing it? I mean, by doing so, he loses the opportunity to go and work there if he wants, to live there later on, to do it. And it probably hurts his kids' opportunities as well. I don't know their situation, but... I mean, I just don't care. Like, I think that when you're a head of government, yes, you can't have dual citizenship. This came up with uh, Stefan Dion most recently. But I also think that if you're not that, I have no issue with other Canadians having it. I do question sometimes whether people have Canadian citizenship just as their add-on. Like, that's my concern. I don't like when people don't live in Canada, don't care about Canada, but the second something happens in their home country, it's, oh, no, 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 but I'm a Canadian, and, and that's what they do. But the whole point of this I find interesting is that 
there's that old tall poppy thing where you want to, you know, cut the, the tall poppies down so they come down to your level. But, you know, Andrew Shear, and I don't want to denigrate or downplay Andrew Shear because I, I like him. I get along with him. We had him on the show a few weeks ago. But he's not exactly a tall poppy right now in politics. It's not like he's running in an election. He's serving as the official leader of the opposition, but he's not doing much in a way that threatens anyone. So I don't get why continued investigating of things that were political issues that don't really matter to his role as official opposition is the role of the media. Like at this point, I think the media just wants to finish the job. I mean, they were focused on painting him as this backwards troglodyte during the election. And now they find he has a little bit of life yet. People are liking him just a little bit too much. So let's just, you know, kick one more time. And, but this is, I think the point that I find interesting here and needs to be understood Whenever conservatives start talking about wanting to rush to the middle or get the media to like them, get the left to like them, and, and be the, the consensus builders, there's nothing wrong with consensus. There's nothing wrong with taking all different perspectives, but they're never going to like you. This is a great reminder of how the media tends to like treating conservatives. And, and by the way, I, I, I think it's a fair question to ask someone, hey, you said you were going to do this. Are you doing it? But the idea of turning that into a story and, and turning it into an attack. And if you look at some of the things that people are saying about Andrew Scheer on Twitter, and you'll notice exactly how this is being taken. It's not being taken. I mean, a lot of people are saying who cares, but a lot of people, I mean, Jenny Byrne, for example, a former a high ranking member of Stephen Harper's government, also someone I, I get along with and have a lot of respect for, but she's sharing this story and saying that it's proof that Andrew Scheer doesn't even deserve to be leader of the conservatives right now, that caucus needs to find an interim leader. So I don't, see, and maybe I'm wrong here, I don't see how this is disqualifying. I kind of read the story and I shrugged. I was like, well, he's not running anymore. He's not the PM. I, who cares? But let me know what you think. Andrew at andrewlawton.ca. And again, try not to decide these things based on whether you like or dislike Sheer, because that's one of the most annoying traits in politics, where anything that someone you don't like does is bad, and anything someone you do like does is at best good or at worst, that's eh, okay, I can live with. So... In any case, we have to wrap things up for today. I want to give a big thank you to all who tuned into this little uh, miniature holiday edition of the Andrew Lawton Show. And again, I hope you did get some peace and comfort and perhaps even relaxation on this Victoria Day long weekend. Normally, the unofficial kickoff of summer, but or even the official kickoff. No, the official kickoff's in June. Uh, but I actually had like snow and rain all weekend down in my part of the country. So I don't think it was too summery. But you know what? It's all about uh, staying indoors sometimes. So... <laughs> as we've been getting very much used to. We'll talk to you in a couple of days with a more full-length edition of the show on Wednesday. You're tuned in to Canada's most irreverent talk show. Thank you, God bless, and good day, Canada. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.